You're listening to the Sportsman's Empire Podcast Network brought to you by Full Sneak Gear. Check out their entire lineup at fullsneakgear.com. Also be sure to check out our entire stable of podcasts at sportsmansempire.com. The Sportsman's Nation Podcast Network is brought to you by Moultrie Mobile. Transform the way you hunt with the all-new base cellular trail camera connected by the Moultrie Mobile app. Moultrie Mobile's industry-best app gives you complete control over your camera settings, up-to-the-minute updates from the field, and other interactive scouting tools on your smartphone or computer. Features like weather forecast, advanced species recognition, interactive maps, and a whole lot more. For more information and to make your purchase, visit www.moultriemobile.com. New from Moultrie Mobile, the Feed Hub offers first-of-its-kind cellular connection and control for nearly any spin cast feeder on the market. When used with the Moultrie Mobile app, you can monitor feed and battery levels, run feeders on demand, receive alerts when feeders are clogged, and remotely adjust feeding times. The Feed Hub is ideal for anyone who maintains feeders. Remove the guesswork and save time by planning feeder maintenance before you drive to your hunting property. For more information, visit MoultrieMobile.com. This episode is brought to you by Visit Williamsburg. In Williamsburg, Virginia, there's never too much of a good thing. Whether you're a foodie, a golfer, a history buff, a shopaholic, an outdoor enthusiast, or a thrill seeker, you'll find what you came for here and more. So ask yourself, what is it you want? Discover Williamsburg and plan your trip at visitwilliamsburg.com. What's up, everybody? Welcome back to the O2 Podcast. Paul, we're back. What's going on? What's going on, buddy? Feeling all right? Yeah, oh, yeah. Feels like it's uh, been a while since we've done this, but... Oh, man, it does. It feels like it's been forever, but it was literally last week. Yeah, and, but I guess we've spent a lot of time together over the last... last we what, have. 72 hours, so... Um, yeah, for sure. What we were busy doing, if, if you were following us on any of the social media apps uh we are over at the great american outdoor show hanging out with our friends from go wild so that was an absolute great time so everyone knows go wild we talked about it go wild free social media community um photos aren't censored your your kill shots aren't censored uh they're encouraged quite frankly on on, on go wild people love to see it love to talk about it um, so, so go out actually gives you points for things uh, like sharing your trophies, uh, your gear reviews, inviting friends. Um, and so as you, or as you earn points in months, you've, you've taken advantage of some of this, you're in points, you unlock, like there's some, some cool, some cool rewards you get, like their stickers on go wild are badass. I mean, they are awesome. So you get points, you get, you get some stickers, you get free shirt at some point, which is pretty cool. Free knives, swag, stuff like that. Uh, and then you get discounts. So I got like a, I've, I've, I've been looking at this vortex red dot and it's like, it's literally the, ch- the it's the cheapest site or price on the internet. Go out. So uh, definitely on there. It's free to create account. If you do, uh, if you create accounts, you unlock $10, just trying it out uh, towards your first purchase. So uh, visit time to go wild.com. If you get on there, find me, Paul Campbell, find Andrew months, find the O2 podcast. We'd appreciate it. Absolutely. And uh, it's it is a cool platform, and uh, it's got it's got everything. It's got the shopping, and and Paul talked about that. But being with the guys this weekend, 
it was it was interesting to see the stuff that they had to sell and the knowledge they had behind it uh, and being able to play with some of the cool stuff like the thermal scopes and uh, all that kind of stuff. So definitely a good place to go. Good, good, um, good deals on there. And can't say enough good about it. That show was a blast. Dude, it was nuts. So it was the Great American Outdoor Show, which is the NRA shows in Harrisburg, Pennsylvania. And we met a lot of really good people. Some some of you guys came up, listened to the show, man. Really appreciate you guys listening. Jason Schlosser got to meet him. Real, real good guy from from Maryland. Maryland listens to the show. Son was there. I mean, it was just awesome, man. It was it was great meeting everyone. Great hanging out with Brad, Dan, and Erica. Um, I've literally never been to a trade show or anything that had that many people in it at one point in time. Like it was. It was I mean, it, it felt like it was in a high state game. Is what it felt like. It, it was did. packed shoulder to shoulder. And we've worked, we've worked a bunch of trade shows in our day, uh, but not, yeah. not like that. That traffic no. was unreal. Man, and there were people open carrying everywhere. It was a beautiful sight, man. It was America on full display. So good job, Harrisburg. Good job, NRA. And just for the record, like I, we talked, Paul and I talked about this on the drive back. You need like three or four days to explore yeah. that show to its fullest. And if you've never been there, seriously need to consider it next year. Um, they had an archery room. They had the boat room. They had out outfitters room. They had what firearm room? Like the and I'm not talking. This sounds just like a little room. It's like a huge area with tons and tons of vendors and lots of really good show specials. Um, yeah. They were like, I mean, everything was marked off like minimum fifteen percent. Like all the I, I saw the Sika and Kuyu. All those guys were marked off. I mean, like. Uh, 10 point crossbows had a bunch of stuff off all the gun manufacturers had sale deals and ammo deals i mean it was nuts man it was it was really it was i i did not know what to expect going into it and uh i walked i walked all of the all of the exhibit halls and at the end of the day i'd walked after that i walked six and a half miles just in the exhibit hall just doing loops up and all and i you know i didn't really stop and talk to too many people man just uh just rolled through looking at all the stuff so it was it was Man, it was wild. I can't wait to go back next year. So yeah. it's a nine-day show, so you got plenty of time. Technically, this is going to come out on Wednesday. If you really got nothing else better to do, it's still going on for the rest of this week. So it's like ten bucks. It's like ten dollars to get in from Central Ohio. It was a six-hour drive, real easy drive. Yeah, I, if you like hunting, fishing, shooting shit, you're gonna like the Great American Outdoors. So I promise you. So had a had a good time. So. So thank you to Brad and Erica and Dan and the folks over at Go Wild for having us there. But um, talk time. about news around the state, Paul. So we've got mentioned this a couple of weeks ago. I just want to just put it put it in everyone's memory again. If you shot, you're one of the fortunate hunters here in Ohio, and you killed a Buckeye Big Buck Club qualifying deer, and you have had it scored. Their annual banquet is Saturday, February twelfth, twenty twenty. It's in Ashland, Ohio. So you can get on their on their website, buckeyebigbuckclub.org. Click on the banquet ticket page. Uh, you can you can get uh, get your tickets there. Um, if you haven't, if you did shoot a big deer and you want to get scored, I know that they the um, the open season show is coming in to Columbus in the first part of March. I think it's like March fourth. And I'm not I'm not sure. Just get get online. Um, I think it's March fourth, fifth, and sixth. And the Buckeye Big Puck Club, those guys will be there scoring deer. So you can you can take your your trophies there and uh, and and have them scored. So uh, pretty neat. We've got and just my you know, selfless plug here for for my for my guys. But um, 
the NWTF, the chapter that I am a member of, been a member of, been around for a couple of years now, the Buckeye Conservation Chapter. It's here in Central Ohio. So if you're a turkey hunter um, or want to be a turkey hunter, check this event out. So it's, uh, I'll put this on the social media, but if you get on nwtf.org, go to events, go to Ohio, it's the first one there. It's uh, this Friday, February 11th. For what it's worth, I'm going to be there uh, drinking beers and buying all sorts of NWTF stuff. So I love it, man. I love those banquets. Months, you got to get, you got to get to that. It's a lot of fun. So I do, I do. Um, just to reference what Paul was talking about with the open season sportsman's expo at the Columbus or the Ohio Expo Center in Columbus. Yeah. That is March 18th through the 20th. There you go. I was, so, goddamn, I was way off. So, but uh, so here's, here's the most important news. And this is kind of heartbreaking for, for me. Um, so this is really important, guys, man. I want you – so Mike DeWine, governor of Ohio, has really cut the heart out of a lot of people in the state. Once This week, You're not gonna he has temporarily okay. renamed Burr Oak State Park. They, they fixed the sign to Burrow Oak State Park. Go Bengals, who day? Uh, let's see here. What else we have? Paint Creek State Park is now – this is funny. This is clever. Evan McPherson Extra Point Creek State Park. Good for them. Uh, Houston Woods, Icky Woods State Park. Icky Shuffle. Go Bengals. I'm not sure, day. I'm not sure there's so. ever so much pollution in our state parks. That makes <laughs> you want to pop. As a, as a lifelong Browns fan, I, there's yeah. nothing about that that I think is. No man, I, I'm I'm a I'm a Browns fan as well, but I'm an Ohio guy, man. And I and I we I watched the I watched the game at your house, the Chiefs Bengals game. I was pulled for man. I went I was pulling for the Bearcats when they were you know when they were down there. And you know, as Buckeye fans, like we're just got the and and Browns fans, we're gonna have to hear people from Cincinnati talk shit for like the next ten years, and we're just gonna have to deal with it. So good for you guys if you're a Bengals fan. Good luck this upcoming Sunday, Super Bowl Sunday. So. Uh, as far as as far as news, what else? I mean, what else you got? There was some big. There's another big land purchase. Not big, but there's a land purchase here. The Division of Wildlife added 86 acres to the North Turkey Foot Wildlife Area. So this is up in Northwest Ohio, McClure, Ohio, um, adding on to an area that is important for wetland habitat. It was once the Great Black Swamp. So anytime we can add acreage up in Northwest Ohio, that is. A plus. Um, it's fact. Sounds like another. Oh, good move to help keeping the wetlands um, present to help filter some of the the pollutants and different things in the surrounding area. So, yeah, it's going to become looks like a total of about 450 acres. It's mostly wooded and uh, brushy habitat along the Maumee River. Yeah. And today's also a sad day. No deer hunting in the state of Ohio allowed. So I was driving up the road last night, Paul. And as the sun was going down, every deer that I passed, I was just like, You're a survivor. You're a survivor. <laughs> you made it. See you next year. <laughs> Dude, we saw like so many deer coming through Ohio and Pennsylvania over the weekend. It's just like they knew. Like they just they just know that that humans aren't a threat anymore and they just they're everywhere so no nope. duck hunting no goose hunting no deer hunting no small game it's all closed this is the dark ages until uh the what third saturday 
in April, something like that. So yeah, somebody who kind of suffers from like seasonal depression syndrome, it, this doesn't help. So, no. um, but I, I haven't done much hunting recently anyway. So you gotta get your back figured out with that. Yeah. Yeah, if you guys don't know, I hurt my back pretty bad. I don't know, shit, a month ago at this point. So you pushing you in a wheelchair up there to find turkeys. Exactly. I've been working out. I worked out hard today trying to get my turkey legs under me. So very good. Yeah. Well, this week's talk uh, is turkey talk. Yeah. The one and only Dave Owens. So uh, if Dave you're Owens. like me and you didn't even know who Dave Owens was, but uh, let me tell you, he was awesome and what a guest to have. Very good to answer questions, uh, both on on my novice side of things and more on Paul's more expert side of things. I'm not an expert. You called me an expert in the middle of an interview, and I was like, "Damn it, months! Like, why would you throw me in? I am not an expert in anything, let alone turkey hunting." Sorry. Yeah, we're not. We're just mediocre. But no, we're just schmucks that like to an shoot expert. Them. I try. I try my best. So, man, Dave was awesome. He gave us a ton of his time. Yeah, we talked for, I, I don't know, this is going to be kind of a longer episode, I feel like. Um, I forget how long we actually talked to him for the interview. It was over an hour. And then we talked for an hour after after the interview. And the guy's just awesome, man. Penhody Project, find him on YouTube. Um, the guy just flat out kills turkeys. And I say this in the in the interview. They're, they're just people that, like, they go into the woods and they're like, that deer or that turkey or that goose or that duck, whatever – this is where we need to be. This is where it's going to happen. And they just have, like, they have it, you know, like, and then Dave Owens is one of those guys. So yeah. you guys are going to really, really enjoy this episode. I think um, I had a hell of a good time talking to him. So I'm looking forward That's to seeing him. I'm going to see him. I'm leaving for Nashville on, on Monday. Uh, and I will hopefully get to connect with him down there. So what did he say? He hunts 80 or 90 days in the spring. Yeah, That's insane. Some incredible amount. And then he spends the rest of the year editing this video. So he's got some good stuff there on YouTube, but Dave Owens, the pin Hody project. Uh, if you want to look him up other than that, Paul, I think that's all we got, man. I think it's it, man. I think it's it. Find us and go wild. O2 podcast. Oh yeah. Our website, the O2 podcast.com. Oh yeah. Oh dude. So we got some good stuff coming, like some good merchandise. I mean, when I say good, like it's some, some badass shit coming down the pipeline. You guys are going to like it. So save your money. Don't buy anything on there yet. Uh, but no, don't, don't just, if you're on the website for whatever reason, don't buy anything off of it right now. We got better stuff coming and Nick Moen. I got some good coming your way, buddy. First person to buy a product off the website. Thank you. Nick is He's just like a, like this nutso fisher, fisherman angler man. Guy's good, good at what he does. So him and his, his brothers do some some stuff on Facebook. Outdoor boys, check him out. All Thanks, Nick. Fish and yeah, and and supports the show. So that's something cool coming your way. The rest of you suckers should have bought one of those hats first, but you didn't. Well, some of us bought the hat and it still hasn't gotten here, Paul. No, you bought it. <laughs> <laughs> I'm just going to take one of your hats. I'm not paying for that. <laughs> Blame the weather, COVID, whatever. So yeah, I'm waiting for the good hats. So no, nah, they're all good. They're all they were they were really neat hats. They did nice. So yeah, what we got come down. It's going to be pretty cool. So look forward to that. Twitter, it's at Ohio Hunt. Instagram, the dot o two dot podcast. Go wild. It's o two podcast. Yeah, that's uh, that's what we got for this week. So if nothing else, we will talk to you guys uh, next time. Have a great week and be safe out there. See you guys.
Good. So welcome everyone. We are joined today with uh, Dave Owens from the Penhody Project. Dave, thanks for your time, man. Appreciate you coming on. Oh man, appreciate the opportunity to chat with you guys. Good. So I, I've been uh, a big fan of yours. I love the videos. I love just the, the way that you hunt and, and kind of the way that you go about turkey hunting in the woods. Um, so just give give our listeners just kind of a rundown about about who you are and uh, and what the Penhody Project is. Um, I'm just a turkey hunter, I guess, is, uh, from, from, uh, from the bear, uh, bear basics. And I'm from, uh, North Georgia, kind of cut my teeth in North Georgia mountains, um, getting whipped by the turkeys up there and kind of learned the ropes, uh, by the school of hard knocks. Um, uh, just, you know, got infatuated with turkeys at a young age for some reason, uh, and kind of steamrolled into what I'm doing now, which is the Penhody Project. Um, as far as what the Penhody Project is, it's just a, shoot, man, it's just some turkey hunters or a turkey hunter that has a couple buddies that are pretty hardcore into it. And we, we turkey hunt pretty extreme as far as just the amount we go, the, the links that we're willing to go to, to, to turkey hunt. And uh, like I said, the amount, the time we invest in turkey hunting is, is, is pretty substantial. And uh, we just carry a video camera around to kind of document our day-to-day life when it comes comes to turkey hunting during the spring because we do it every day. Uh, we've wiggled our way uh, into the ability to, to turkey hunt a lot. So it's usually 80 or 90 days of spring that we, we get to uh, wake up with turkeys. So it's pretty fortunate to be able to do that. Um, and as far as kind of the way we structure it, it's, it's really uh, just tried to keep it as, as simple and realistic and more over-the-shoulder type content that really puts you there uh, rather than being like an outside looking in uh watching a production of some sort we kind of wanted to put you in a like a point of view type camera stance so that you're you're there um and i try my best to do that um it's not uh, like you we mentioned before we started recording it's not polished um there's gonna be some times when the camera gets knocked over and the audio is knocked down and the camera is not in focus but it's real it's real turkey hunting and i hope that are real turkey hunters can relate to it. That's the audience that I was kind of shooting for. Um, but yeah, and we just wanted to expose folks new and old to the sport of turkey hunting and how we like to do it um, because we just feel like we've, we're very fortunate to come up in a time where we kind of got to sample turkey hunting and everything it had to offer, all the new technologies and the new sh- um, shortcuts for lack of a better term. And we kind of wiggled ourselves into the way we feel like it's the, the most enjoyable and get the most out of it. And uh, felt like it was a little bit underrepresented when it come to just videos you were able to find, media you were able to search. So we uh, wanted to fill that niche, and I'm I'm hoping that when we threw our hat in the ring, that we did just that. So, no, I think I you know I I can say just from from my personal experience, I didn't grow up in a hunting family. I didn't start hunting until my mid 20s. So this would have been you know mid 2000s, 2005, 2008, something like that. And that those first couple of years you know, it was, it was trial and error. It was failure, failure, failure. And, you know, you'd watch TV shows on, on the sportsman's uh, sportsman's network channel, whatever it was, or outdoor channel. And it wasn't the same style of hunting that I was doing hunting, you know, public land in Ohio. I'm like, these guys are hunting farm fields in Iowa and ground blocks. Yeah. Like, that's not what I'm doing. <laughs> and someone said, Hey, have you heard of Dave Owens been hoodie project? I'm like, no, and I, I watched every video for, for hours. And I will say, man, like, like you and, and the guys like, um, Aaron Warburton and Zach Fairbot, you guys made me better turkey hunters. So I think that's, I think that's, that's what it's about. I, I hope. Um, 
So I, I definitely appreciate that. So let's, so let's break down. I was telling Andrew earlier today, I'm like, man, they're, they're, they're guys like they go out into the woods and they just know when it's time for a turkey to die. Like they just know, like, this is, this is the one, like I watch your videos, watch Aaron and those guys. I'm like, how do they do that? And, and so I've, I've definitely had success in the woods. So, so I want to, I want to kind of like unpack a turkey hunt, if you will. Mm-hmm. Um, when, like, when do you start scouting for turkeys in, in like your home range? Or do um, you stop? It's, it's a bit, it's a bit unique from me now because I don't spend much time at home, very little time at home, actually. Um, I bet I don't spend more than three days hunting from home. Um, so used to, uh, when I would, would, I would hunt a lot when I, when I job that nailed me down to, to that one location that I had to stay in, I would start usually at the turn of the year, um, because usually in January, all depending on the spring and how it was shaping up usually January, first, second week of January, you can really start hearing some gobbling where I was at because they're sorting that pecking order out. And uh, you would find bachelor groups. It was really fun to watch because you could go in and you would go and you would hear five or six, four, five, six turkeys together and they'd all be in one spot. And you could go to that spot twice a week for two or three weeks in a row and they would be there. And then all of a sudden within that, within usually a week's time of that opening day, like right before the opening day, the agencies had everything timed. It seemed like perfectly because right about opening day, you would go to that same spot and that'd only be one turkey or maybe a pair in that, in that area. And you could hear the other ones in the distance where that yeah. group just, 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 you know, busted up. Um, they all would all have a handful of hens apiece usually it seemed like. So um, it's usually the turn of the year, but now with my situation, <clears throat> I'll go out just to stretch my legs more or less. Um, I love finding turkeys. I'm obviously always looking for them. I just don't get to hunt them when I'm here usually. Um, have just a handful of spots will keep me entertained for the couple of days I'm here. Um, but usually my scouting now is, is a lot of it just boots on the ground at the time of, you know, armed scouting, essentially while I'm hunting. Um, getting a handful of days before the season's actually ends the luxury for sure. Yeah. Will you call the kind of in, in that early scouting or owl hoot or you just go out and just sit down and listen? Typically, just sit down and listen. I like to get in a high point and be lazy, first and foremost. If you can get on a high point and listen and, and, and put your ears on turkeys, there's no reason to have to drop in there and booger them, potentially booger them. Um, you kind of learn all you need to know, which is there's turkeys there, and, and what else do you need to know, you know? Um, so if I don't – if I go in and turkeys aren't gobbling, sometimes they aren't early in the year, and I just feel like there's turkeys in there, and I'll drop down in there and look at the creek bottoms typically first because that's where it's going to green up first. So that's where your turkeys are going to kind of be concentrated. Look at beech trees. You know, a lot of times they'll be under those. Just look for scratchings and then we'll walk those logging roads or trails and whatnot looking for tracks. And, you know, turkeys are opportunistic, so they're going to take path of least resistance. So if there's a lot of birds in the area, they'll typically leave some tracks around a mud hole or, or whatever. So just to uh, get that little bit of a breadcrumb that you need to kind of start kind of start building that inventory and, and actually knowing that there's turkeys there and and you just come back on a good goblin day and get started. So when do you do any e-scouting for for you know new locations, areas that you're gonna hunt? Do you use you know the Google Maps, the online maps? Yeah, I mean that's usually going to these places, that's all I have. That's uh, just the knowledge that I've been able to gather through satellite imagery and topo maps and that kind of thing. Um, so yeah, that's that's a huge part of what I do now, more important than ever, because a lot of the times I'm showing up to these places and may have never been there. Um, so 
Yeah, absolutely. The the, the e-scouting, the looking at the site and trying to determine the vegetation composition of what's going to be there before I get there. Um, uh, you know, trying to be efficient, trying to make sure that I can, if I have plan A, I can get to plan B within a certain amount of time and I'm not wasting too much time, you know, in, uh, you know, transit between locations, you know, trying to put my ears on as much good goblin dirt that I possibly can in the mornings because I hunt with my ears. I mean, that's that's just how I hunt. I like to hear them. Um, and if I'm not hearing them, then I'm on new dirt that I'm typically, I'm of the school of thought that there's a turkey goblin somewhere. I just got to find him. So I, I'll keep moving. So. so with, like, you know, when you're e-scouting for deer, I mean, you're obviously, I think it's, you know, really easy to look at the topo, topography of an area to say okay this area is going to funnel deer despite the, the nature of their you know how they operate do, do you think turkeys are the same way when you're looking for areas are you looking for you know, saddles and draws and transition areas and open fields water sources yeah i mean they, they need diversity just like anything else i mean if you can get a uh the, the smaller amount of area that it takes to that encompasses everything a turkey needs is uh is what you're looking for you know i mean they like open areas to bug in they like logging roads to as as an open area to display in. they like um gobblers like elevation to where they can be heard from a long long way so they can use their voice to attract hens um, they like mass crops if it's a you know if it's a good mass you know if you got a lot of acres that year um water you know like i just mentioned creek bottoms creek drainages are usually the first to green up in the spring so hens kind of head that way for greenery uh looking for insects um when it gets later in the season, uh, you know, I'll look for some of that nesting cover and be kind of, uh, you know, some of that maybe cutovers or some thinning that has happened and call the forestry department, see if they've done any thinning, see if you can find a find a burn that's two or three years old, something that's going to have some nesting cover those hens are going to be attracted to and those gobblers are going to be trailing around the outside of it, you know, um, there for a reason. So. Uh, there's a lot. I mean, it's a lot of that's just look, learning your quarry, just trying to figure out what what they are going to need, and uh, you know, just kind of putting the puzzle pieces together. Once you realize that that you know that the turkeys should be there, and if there's turkeys in the area, they most likely will be. We're pretty fortunate, and right now, as much as uh, as much as the noise says populations are declining, and they are to a certain extent, I'm sure, but we're we're very fortunate. This isn't the '50s. There's 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 turkeys pretty much throughout in a lot of, a lot of situations. Yeah, for sure. So let's, let's talk about, let's talk about calling. So we've kind of, we found the turkeys. Um, first off, how many, how many of those grand national calling championships have you won? Are you won uh, well, the grand national, well, the grand nationals, the big deal. I've only, I've won it once. I won it in okay. 2018. So yeah, okay. that's, that's the, uh, world series, I guess you could say of Turkey calling, um, state competitions, other competitions, Lord, I, I don't know. I don't. I don't keep count of those things. Um, yeah. Won the Georgia State a handful of times. Um, won the Bob Dixon Memorial. Won the one in Louisiana this past summer. Um, so yeah, there's there's a few of the local competitions I've been lucky enough to to basically look up at. So Mons, he's a turkey calling fool, man. If you ever watched some of those videos, so so <laughs> I want to I want to I want to ask you this: How many? And and this is this is not. I just how many variations of turkey call do i if, if i'm a beginning turkey hunter do i need to have my bag can i kill a turkey with just a plain hen yelp you can kill a turkey without a call yeah 
I won't yeah. put a number on it, but there's a certain percentage of turkeys that that are killed every year that never hear turkey call. And that's yeah. part of knowing your quarry. I mean, knowing what they're going to do before they do it and understanding them and hearing him and, and picking his location as to, you know, he's gobbling, he's gobbling with this intensity, he's got this in mind, and I bet he, he, he should wind up here and just beating him there. So you don't need a turkey call. It really helps sometimes. Um, and, um, you know, you don't need a lot. You know, turkey calling is, you know, we put 10 to 20%, you know, how, how important is it? Is it's only, you know, 20% of the game max. So turkey calling isn't um, – and being an expert level turkey caller or anything more than proficient isn't isn't necessary. Um, does it help? Will it help you maybe put one more turkey in your bag every other year or so? Possibly. So I mean, if you look to be good at this at the game, if you want to be good at the craft, it's it's always best to be sharp at all aspects of it, and calling is one of those. Um, but yeah, man, I mean whatever any type of beginner turkey hunter is comfortable with, whether that be typically it's a box call or a pot call or, or something like that, some type of friction call um, is, is usually the, the beginner kind of class. But, I mean, <clears throat> there's some young kids that pick up a trumpet and a wing bone and they sound great on it. So it's all it's all up to the user, you know. So um, as long as you can somewhat replicate and be, be proficient and a lot of times it isn't how you say it but when you say it and, and, and kind of trying to figure out their language it's got a lot more to do with um having the confidence in replicating exactly what you need to say when you need to say it rather than being you know having the most polished hen yelp or having the fastest cutting or anything like that it's just Dave, you know, when, it comes, know, when it comes oh, to the calling and to inexperienced hunters what's like the biggest mistake that you see people make inexperienced hunters um with calling Man, I don't know about the most um because for somebody like me who's generally does a lot more deer, the fact that I get to make noise in the woods, I'm like bah, 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 we're yeah. just gonna keep making noise all the time. <laughs> yeah, um it's it's one or the other. Typically, you see inexperienced guys, they they listen to the 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 three club one yelp crowd and they feel like they they need to just more or less sit by a tree and yelp once an hour or something like that. If they either take that approach. Or like you said, the opposite, where they're walking through the woods, squawking left and right. Um, there's there's a happy medium there that that you need to accomplish, and a lot of that has to do with experience. And because some days walking through the woods, squawking and and staying on the call. I mean, if you watch some any of those videos, some of our videos, we in certain situations we call a lot. I mean, yeah. we will the whole video for 15 minutes will be us just going back and forth with a flock of turkeys, typically early season cutting yelping loud one on top of the other um and that's what's required you know but if you go in there in the wrong situation and you're doing that you're going to send them the other way um but in those type of situations if you would have sat there and done the and yelped three times and been quiet you wouldn't have been successful so it's all experience based reading the situation that's in front of you and figuring out when to call and, and what to say so when you you get out of the truck in the morning you're heading into the woods you've got your spot that you want to go are you from the camp or do you, do you change where I'm going to let the woods wake up? I'm going to let the turkeys tell me where they're at. Or do you want to go in out hoot or pull a cut Strickland and hammer that tube call? Say here, 12 counties <laughs> over, which I like oh. the tube call, man. I love that thing. So, Oh man, I'm, I'm a, that this year, funny. I had a podcast with him first thing this morning. So okay. um, 
cousin and I just got off the conversation, but we discussed the tube call because every year it seems like there's some magic call. Yeah. Some, for some reason, turkeys, I just, it seems like I get one to strike with it. And it's like that call, it's just that call for the season. Like two years ago, it was a trumpet. Like, you know, I've, I've used a wing bone and it was a trumpet. It's like I had a lot of turkeys respond well to the trumpet. This year it was a tube call. Like I've never been a big tube call user. Um, and then this year I got a tube call and I started working with it and getting a little bit different sound. And we started using it and about midway through the season, it was like a light switch flipped and turkey started responding to it and all the way through the end. I mean, I've used that tube call a lot, but no, to get back to your question, um, I'm one of those guys that tries to get to a high point where I can put my ears on a lot of ground and usually let the woods wake up on its own. Um, I try to be unannounced and, and use that, um, just use stealth, you know, don't let them know that you're there until they need to know you're there kind of thing. So typically I'm letting the woods kind of liven up on their own. Um, if it gets past gobble time, when I think a gobbler should have, should have sparked and he hasn't yet, um, I may provoke him with owling. You know, I may owl to him a little bit, uh, try to provoke him to try to get him started if for some reason he's waking up later or whatnot. But if, if I don't get a response, then I'm typically moving because we know there's a magic time. It's about 20, 25 minutes of magic time. That magic roost gobbling, when you can really put your ears on a bird and start coming up with a game plan. So if I'm not on a gobbling turkey, if I'm not hearing them, I like to try to cover as much ground as I can during that 20 to 25 minute magic hour or magic minute, I guess, you know. Um, getting back to what you were talking about earlier, map scouting and picking your spots and where you want to be. And that's one of them, kind of having your, plan of attack before it ever breaks daylight. So if, you know, things aren't panning out, that turkey doesn't gobble on the ridge on, you know, beside you or the ridge that you're on, I can get to point B and put my ears on fresh ground that I couldn't hear from point A. And I can do that in a very short amount of time so that I don't waste any of that 25 minute magic, magic moment. So Dave, I, we talked about this earlier. Paul is the expert when it comes to the turkeys and, and I'm very novice, but when you say that the 20, 25 minutes, any, what kind of, my first question is like, well, is that the 20 and 25 minutes after first light or after daybreak or, you know, halfway in between, like, is there a certain time that of the, the morning that you're saying that that would be, or is it something you just figure out as you're going? Um, well, it, it definitely changes as the season um, lengthens as the days get longer. I've found turkeys are, start gobbling later in the morning, but typically it's that first light right when things start brightening up, you know, you get that. Um, that's typically when, when the turkeys are away, just like a rooster crowing in the morning, you know, um, they get started right, right as it starts to break daylight. And, and it's all dependent on the bird. We've got them start gobbling in the pitch black dark an hour before he should have. Um, there's a video of me and Drew in 20, 2020 where we were walking in and a turkey gobbles in the pitch black dark, like a solid hour and a half before we should have gobbled. Then he started gobbling a lot, and we were able to get in on that turkey in the pitch black. I mean, we used darkness, and he was gobbling for some reason. We got in there, and, of course, we killed him at like 11 o'clock or something. But still, we got a good start on him, you know. Um, uh, so it's all dependent turkeys. But, yeah, the magic, that 25 minutes I'm talking about is just typically – um, roost gobbling is what I'm talking about. The moment that they start gobbling, which is usually at that twilight hour until they fly down, which is usually about 20, 25 minutes. When they're, once their feet hits the ground, you got um, 
terrain starts playing a factor. You can't hear them as far. And typically they just don't, you know, a lot of times they won't gobble as much when their feet hits the ground. So, so if you're on that high ridge and you hear them gobbling a couple hundred yards away, <laughs> no, you're fine. Uh, you know, a couple hundred yards away, you know, another ridge down. How, how close would you comfortably get to that bird? I mean, will you start moving as soon as he, he gobbles or do you just kind of wait him out and see where he's going to do? I mean, because how many times are they gobbling hard on the limb? They hit the ground and they just shut up. And, and you know, mm-hmm. where do they go? All depending, uh, because if I think there's another bird closer, a lot of times I won't move. Um, we do. It all depends on, it all depends on the location. <clears throat> when I go into a spot, I have a spot that I'm hoping there's a turkey. Essentially, like I go to a listening point, I'm thinking I want there to be a turkey right there. If a turkey gobbles there, I obviously go ahead and start moving because I know exactly where I want to be to yelp to that turkey. But if a turkey gobbles in the distance or he's not exactly where I want him to be, I usually let the woods wake up enough to make sure there's not a turkey where I want one to be. Um, if if it, if they're in a spot, that's going to be take a lot of that into consideration. Reading those topo maps and trying to say, okay, that turkey's roosted here. I don't know where he's going to go. Let's just kind of put ourselves into position to listen to him if he does gobble once he hits the ground, and let's just try to keep tabs on him if we don't know exactly where to be. Because you can put yourself in a bad spot. You know, you can move in if you don't know exactly what the turkey's going to do. If you if you dive in and get to a location and he chooses location B, and he could potentially put himself out of earshot. You know, so it's better to kind of kind of hurry up and wait, kind of thing. Put yourself in a position, let him make his move, and then. He kind of tells you what you need to know, and then you can start putting the puzzle pieces together to put yourself in the right right spot. I think that was, you know, when I just kind of like looking back on my turkey hunting career, I was definitely too aggressive with those, you know, boom, they gobble. And I'm, I'm making like a beat as, as fast as I can. And then it's just like, well, I'm wondering, you know, why am I not seeing turkeys? Um, <laughs> you push them, push them out. So that's, yeah, that's, that's, that's great information. I think so, we all did that. Like, oh man, you just get excited. Part, you know? Oh yeah. You're excited. That's part of that. Um, a little bit of inexperience, not to say yeah. something, you still don't need to do that. Like I said, sometimes like Florida, for example, a lot of times you'll, if, he, if he's somewhat close, you need to go ahead and make a beeline to him because, um, a lot, a lot of times, first off, they're closer than you think they are because it's so thick down there. Usually you think, God, I got a two miles to get to that turkey, and, and it's really like three hundred yards, you know. So, um, but I mean, here again, it's all situational. So what is so? How do you how do you handle that? You know, where they're gobbling hard on the limb, and you know they they hit the ground. They've got hens with them. Um, are you just same thing? So you're kind of staying top of that ridge, trying to stay within earshot, hear where they're going, listen to the hens following them. Yeah, I mean, so a lot of that has to do with. Um, like we, you can do a lot more harm than good if you start pushing in on a turkey who's not ready to die. Um, that's something that we've kind of hit on in a lot of different little, different episodes, different videos, that kind of stuff. Is it, you can do a lot more harm than good when it comes to when it comes to pushing in on a turkey who's not ready to die because you push the envelope, push the envelope until you push it too far and you bump them and and, and potentially knock them off of a routine that you could have killed the turkey at. So if he's not ready to die that day, yeah, I try to keep tabs on him. Um, Turkey's just covered up in hens. I'll make note of that, and I may come back to that spot in a week and a half, may come to that spot in two weeks if I have the flexibility to do so because um, those turkeys will usually stay with those hens until they start losing them, and then they'll start moving up to get higher ground, to cast that gobble a little further, start collecting some some receptive hens. Um, So 
if I'm trying to kill him that day, it's it's a very reserved approach. It's it's he's really going to have to, um, he or one of his counterparts that are around him are going to have to really tell me where they're at, and and you really have to slow down. And it's really hard to do that for a lot of folks because um, you feel like you're standing in one place for no reason, but you may stand there for 25 minutes. The next thing you know, you may hear a Jake talk, you know, um, and it's learning those type of subtle. Uh, sounds that'll really tell you more about the turkeys. It's not always a gobble. It's, you know, it's not always a gobble that puts you in the right place. Um, it's hearing scratching in the leaves, hearing footfalls in the leaves, hearing drumming, hearing, um, like I said, Jake caulking, clucking. I mean, just hearing anything turkey and being able to paint a picture in your head is like, okay, I can hear some scratching, some rhythmic scratching in the, in the, in the, uh, in the leaves. Most likely, I heard him gobbling this morning, so that's most likely hens. He's most likely spring of the year. He's probably doing very little scratching. So what you're hearing is most likely a hen. Um, so it's most likely a hen scratching in the leaves. He's probably somewhere there with her. And then you just start easing in closer and closer until you can start hearing that rhythmic drumming from a distance. And then you can confirm, yep, the picture I painted in my head where he's following some hens around in this creek bottom is it, it is in fact correct. Sit back and listen to which way those leaves are going. And then you try to get yourself ahead of them in that creek bottom or pick out where they're going to Cross, like you said, a saddle earlier, and you're using those saddles to get from one one creek drainage to the next. Um, it's kind of those early season strategies, typically what that gobbling on the roost and shutting up on the ground kind of gets you steered toward. So at what point will you kind of pull off of a bird if he's not receptive or two to where you're just like, I've been here for two hours. I'm, you know, you call him, you know, whatever that routine may be for you. At what point are you like, it's not, not the time? Um. Man, I'm trying to figure out if there was any kind of indicator. Um, because here's – I'll tell you, like, where I kind of fall flat. Andrew and I had this conversation earlier. You know, I'll I'll be – you know, I'll pin down a bird. I know where they're at. I'll wait it out. I'm calling. They're kind of responsive here and there. They're moving closer. I feel like I'm in a good spot. And then nothing. They just shut up. And, they, they you know, I don't see the – you know, I don't see – I don't hear any drumming. I don't see the bird. And I'll wait it out for an hour and a half and, and I'll be like, okay, well, it's time to go. And I'll stand up and they're 20 yards to my back, right. And they've yeah. just, you hear nothing. And I, that's happened. Count, we've all done that. Yeah. And you stand up and you go, what the hell just happened? Like, I thought he did everything right. And, and, you know, I, so I, for me, like knowing when to pull the ripcord and get out and when to stay, that's the one thing that like, I, I, I really struggle with. And you're always hammering that be patient, be patient, be patient. <laughs> and then it's just really, like, yeah. or am yes. I going to go just go find another turkey? Cause there's, you know, I'm at 15,000 acres. There's going to be a bird goblin somewhere in Ohio. Yeah. Yeah. A lot of times um, that's the mentality I take. If he gobbles times and I can hear hens with him, his gobble doesn't have a lot of intensity with it. Almost sound like he'd done it by accident. Um, I know exactly what you're talking about. Yeah. I'll, uh, I'll, I, I get I'll pull that. out. I'll pull out and start hitting, hitting, hitting the dusty trail and try to strike a turkey. It's in a little bit of better a little bit better mood. Um, but as far as like knowing when to pull the plug, man, that's just an experience thing and you're still going to get it wrong 50% of the time. You know, there's, there's no concrete answer to any of that type stuff. I mean, it's just uh, go with your gut. I knew the answer was just, it's always going to be. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Go with your gut, you know, but um, and like I said, I don't care how much experience you have, you're still going to be wrong 50% of the time. So uh, I love it, man. That's this part of, for me, that's part of the, part of the battle, you know? So um so what, how, how do you deal with like, uh, I mean, you do, you're a majority public <laughs> land hunter. Um, 
how do you deal with that pressure? And one of my favorite videos, you're down in Florida, you're hunting Osceola's and you get set up and this feller's calling over to your right or whatever. And you guys got this little, he like comes out of his ground blind. Yeah. You're like, hey man, it's public land. I was here first, and you were in yeah. his ass about it for the word go, and yeah. it was hilarious. So, how do you yeah, deal I with mean, that? That public 15 years ago, when I first started hunting, I might see 10 trucks the entire season on the public land spot that I hunt in Ohio. I might see 10 trucks the first day. Yeah, you know? turkey hunting's so, popular. Um, That's no secret. You know, turkey yeah. hunting popular. Um, it's a good thing, in my opinion. I'll, I'll stand, I'll die on that hill and saying that I'll be right there with more. you, buddy. I'm glad we got more voice for wild turkeys. I'm glad people are paying attention to them. They need it right yeah. now than ever. Um, so I'm glad the voices are loud and there's more voices, and more people wanting to get. And I don't know if it's more turkey hunters or it's just more motivated turkey hunters. I think most, a lot of the, what we're seeing is people that did turkey hunt a little bit. Now they're turkey hunting a lot um, due to availability of time. You know, um, I think it was said, you know, all the R3 moment, all the R3 movements and all the money has been dumped into R3. All we needed was a pandemic. Um, so there was a little bit of a light at the end, in, in that dark age, that dark time there. But all that being said, um, turkey hunting popular, so pressure is a part of it. But the thing about pressure is it's been here, man. I mean, you watch the very first Penhody Project stuff. I mean, the very first season um, that we did it, I killed a turkey that we had a guy drive past the producer right off the road. You saw the truck drive past, and the guy gets out of his truck, walks up behind us. The turkey's on the limb. I videoed the turkey on the limb watching the guy. And then we kill him about an hour and a half later when he flies down. So um, then same same season, we had a guy that came up behind us and, we and you know, we were like, no, we're, we're on this turkey. And he says, okay, I'm just going to go around you. We're like, no, man, that's not going to work. You're going to bump the turkey. Oh, fine. And shows his butt a little bit and pretends to walk off, but then, in fact, does try to go around us and blows the bird out of the tree. So pressure is, is, is people like to paint the picture that pressure just started in, like, three years ago. Like, no, there's always been pressure. Um, I remember – 10 years ago, um, griping about people from a neighboring county being on my public dirt. Like, wow, they got their public land over on their county. Why are they over here? You know, there's always animosity toward competition yeah. to the public dirt, but it's all of our dirt. And when it comes to the Penhody Project and documenting, um, I don't know if it was because people didn't hunt public land and video it, or people didn't tell you they were hunting public land and videoing it, or a lot of it has to do with people wanting to make it seem a little bit a little bit uh, more unicorns and rainbows than it really is. You know, um, <clears throat> there's bad that comes along with it. Just there are bad people in the world, bad people at the, at the grocery store when you, you know, I mean, there's just, and what we tried to portray is treat, you know, the golden rule, treat everybody like you'd want to be treated. If I was working a turkey and somebody came up behind me, I'd want them to do what I would do, which was if I knew he was working that turkey, turn around and let him have it, you know, because he was there first, he deserves it. And public land, is great and it would be better if everybody practiced that and i think honestly the overwhelming majority of turkey hunters do um i don't think anybody's running around intentionally granted there's a handful that probably are but i don't think anybody's running around intentionally bumping turkeys off of people and you know really being a you know a black eye on the on the sport but you know it exists and i i tried to portray that when we talked to these people I thought it was doing a disservice to just say, okay, buddy, you're mad. You know, you're turkey hunting. We'll leave. Like, that's not how that game should play out. And without the conversation with those people and kind of showing them your point of view and overall just sharing your ethics with them and how it's supposed to, how it's supposed to go, 
in your opinion, and him trying to explain to me how he, his opinion on it. And, you know, it, I think that discussion was, it needs to be had. It needs to be shared when there's, when there, when you meet folks in public land, on public land, there needs to be a discussion there. Everybody needs to treat everybody respectfully. I mean, for goodness sakes, we all got loaded guns on our back. So it's not a time for hotheads and, and fighting, you know, but I just think, you know, letting people get away with bad ethics is, is just, not it doesn't need to happen either you know we need to we need to all treat everybody like like we'd want to be treated yeah for sure that's such a simple thing and i'm not, it's also the most difficult thing on the face it can be difficult know? and i'm not like i'm not some you know saint here i've i've conducted myself in fashions that i'm ashamed of you know i, yeah. I you know um i've done things i wish i hadn't done you know and i've i've uh even on this last um, season, I had a guy come up on me on public land and I documented it and I put it out there. Sure. I could have cut it all out there and made me seem like a saint and made me seem like, you know, I was, you know, I could have cut that out, but I didn't. Um, cause it was real. My, uh, emotions were at peak. I was within drumming distance of a Turkey. I was really close. Things were really getting tight and I had been followed all the way in that morning. Um, out walk the guy he stopped so i went in another three quarters of a mile then i had a turkey gobble even further in so i'm like there's nothing between me and this turkey and it's only deeper so i'm the deepest guy so it's this is definitely on my side of the my side of the turf and then i go in there and get close to the turkey and have a guy come up behind me i'm assuming it's the same guy that came in and knows that i was there ended up not being ended up being completely somebody completely different that probably had no idea i was there so you know luckily they were super guys you know super ethical got you know once they learned that somebody was hunting that turkey they they turned around and did exactly like they said they would they got out of the way and allowed me to go in there and hunt the turkey the rest of the day so um that's all i'm preaching is you know i the same thing for them i've done the same thing for them um <coughs> excuse me but um that's how you handle pressure and as, as far as when it if, if, if your question was about 30 minutes ago when you asked me the question, if your question was how you deal with those people, um, it's just having that discussion and understanding like, Hey, you can't expect there to only be one guy at a gate if there's 10,000 acres behind that gate. But if there's 2000 acres behind that gate, then maybe, yeah, you need to just let that guy have it. Um, or a thousand, I don't know. That's another subject up for debate on how much ground does one guy need, but I know a thousand acres behind the gate. I can cover it in a, in a morning. No problem. So, yeah. So let's, let's talk about kind of that. We've gone through this process of, of unpacking a Turkey hunt, man. We're at that, like that, that, that final, you know, it's, it's, it's coming. We're, we're the final showdown. We're within, like you said, drumming distance. Um, how do you finish that off, man? I mean, obviously every, every situation is different terrain, you know, hen pressure. It's all different. There's all these things, but how, how much calling are you doing? Are you are, is it soft? I know you don't use decoys very much, if at all, um, that I can think of. Um, how do you get from that, that moment, from that 70 yards into that 40, 35 yards? Yeah, that's, that's, that's the part of the turkey hunt that's really fun to me. That's, that's the best. That's, that's the part. Um, that's what you're there for. If you've got him to that close, um, I can you, see him. I can see his bright can, head. Can I can hear see it. that beard yeah. swinging. And I'm hard to counting. You can hear everything. Yeah. Um, I hunt with my ears. So a lot of times I try to put myself in a position to where I can't see him until he's within shotgun range. So you're living with your ears. You're living for footfalls. You're living for hearing his 
his uh, wings drag the ground. You're listening for the vibrations of his tail fan when he drums and his drumming. Um, you're listening for all of that. And, and those little things um, is what really makes a difference. And this honestly is the reason I don't use decoys because I don't, in my opinion, decoys, you can hurdle a lot of those very small decisions that have to be made to kind of capitalize and, and kind of put the exclamation point to the whole situation can be somewhat hurdled with a decoy because once you use that visual stimulus, um, a lot of times he'll kind of make all those decisions for you. He, he, he won't be reluctant to, to approach because his main line of defense is his eyes. Um, and when you use that visual aid, you kind of trump all of his other senses by, by using his eyes against him. Um, so yeah, that's, that's, um, as far as like how do you do that? Yeah. You, you hit the nail on the head when it's just all situational dependent, but all and a lot of it has to do with how you got there. I mean, has the Turkey been called to a lot? Has he covered a lot of ground to get there? And my, a lot of times I'm like, you know, if he's already come 200 yards and he'll, he'll close that last little bit without any additional calling. Like you've convinced him enough to cover that amount of ground, maybe a little stubborn, but he'll finish it if he's already moved, moved that far. Um, if I, I feel like he's fading or, or whatnot, there's always scratching in the leaves. There's a little subtle things you can do. Um, <laughs> um, and if you watch a tactic that I use a lot, um, on a turkey that's just right, a lot of times in shotgun range, just not within sight, um, the very first hunt, a good example is the very first hunt that was ever recorded under the Pinhoti Project name. Um, Courtney, we're down in Florida, have a turkey coming down an old sandy road. Uh, vegetation in Florida is really high, so you can't see very far, but we put ourselves in the best position up under the shade of a cabbage palm there. And um, turkey was right there drumming as loud as ever. He just wasn't within sight yet, and the turkey kind of hung up, had a hen with him. It was kind of slowing his progress down. And the turkey was out there probably, like I said, probably within shotgun range, probably 40 yards, 50 yards maybe, um, just drumming consistently. And um, I played the quiet game, didn't call to him because he had already covered quite a bit of ground. But he had been there for probably – he kind of stuck to his stuck to his guns there at that distance for probably, I don't know, a handful of minutes, at least five, six, ten minutes. I don't know. I'd have to go back and, and, and check the footage. But essentially I'll – Hens respond to gobblers just like gobblers respond to hens. Um, you know, when a, when a hen yelps and a gobbler gobbles because he likes what she said, they do the same thing. So a lot of times that's in response to their drumming. So if I can hear their drumming, a lot of times I'll act as if a hen um, really gets her feathers ruffled when he drums. So I'll almost get my call ready. And as soon as I hear that, then I'll yelp right at him real fast or cut at him real hard is one of my favorites. I'll just I'll hear him go, and I'll just climb right on top of him, like, pack, 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 you know, like a hen. It's just, she's heard that drumming, and it really got her excited. And a lot of times, he'll just come unglued because he knows he's that close because he heard you from 200, but it's almost like he's starting to doubt his own ears because he's hung up there. He's almost wondering if you're faded off to some faraway land, and then he's drumming as hard as he can because he's trying to, convince anything that's within earshot of of him that to come on close the distance and it's almost like you just break him it's like he's there he's got his head strong he's he's, he's firm in his beliefs almost you know and you lay it on him from that distance he's like oh man i've just got to look i've just i've just got to finish and 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 he did and that's something that i've had happen quite a few times
that's oh man i just i i just got lost in that in that talk there so so i want to i want to ask you you know tur- turkey hunting i don't know for for guys that and gals that don't do it and then there there are the people that i think about it every day of the year christmas day i think about turkey hunting you know and and it's just it's just it's just how i am it's just weird and it, it you know it means so much to me and, and a lot of that is because the the season that I was in in my in my life, turkey hunting really, I mean, it pulled me out of a pit, you know. So it's it's very important to me just personally. And I don't know how you are, man, but every time I you know I, I harvest um, there's that moment, man, where it just rips my heart out. And then it's just like at the same time, I would do it all over again every day of my life if I could, <laughs> and I would just go through that like emotional roller coaster. And it's just you know it's just a couple of seconds, and then you just you know you, like the excitement takes over. I mean, is that is that how it is for you that like you just kneel down and you put your hands on and you're like, oh man, like this, <laughs> it's just it's gut wrenching, <laughs> but it's like it's so exciting at the same time. It's so hard to explain. Yeah, for sure. There's a remorse there, <laughs> for sure. I, I there's it, there's remorse. I don't. There's no other word for it. I don't get. Yeah. Um, yeah. Um, it's a damn shame we have to shoot them a lot of times. You know, um, got to put our hands on them though to kind of really steal that deal. Some people claim you can shoot them with a camera and it's that it's not the same, you know, um, kind of, um, it's different, uh, with each, uh, each time, you know, a lot of times it's, it's a, just a, a moment of silence. Um, one of those situations, like you said, you almost have to have to choke down, you know, a lump in your throat for some reason, you know, and then sometimes it's like, a a surge of adrenaline where you want to just take the nearest oak tree and snap it in half. You know, I mean, there's, there's like this range of emotion that that's pulled out of you that can be from either end of the spectrum. Um, it all, all depends on the time, I guess. It's got to depend on when you're alone, whether you got people around you. Um, but yeah, there's definitely, I've never laid my hands on one when I didn't feel a bit of uh, sadness knowing that I wouldn't be able to yelp to him the next morning, you know, um, kind of overcome that by just, trying my best during the off season to at least ease my own mind thinking that I'm trying to trying to help them and trying to put as many on the landscape as I'm taking off the landscape. Um, something that we really kind of tried to change the narrative on and get away from this uh, <clears throat> loud, loud rap, rap, uh, racketing music and head blowing off and blood everywhere kind of yeah. narrative that the turkey hunting was being overtaken by, in my opinion a handful of years ago and how many can you kill and how many can you pill just make look like a pillow and just all of that kind of disgusting um, imagery that was kind of being tied to turkey hunting and kind of getting it back to um, a little bit more of a noble approach, respectable approach. And, um, and like I said, then lumping, going a little bit one step further and talking about the conservation and what we can do to put more on the landscape. Um, this is just a little bit, I, I made mention of this, when I was speaking to some some guys earlier, I just find it distasteful the amount of folks that want to put up funny memes and talk about how lethal they are as a turkey hunter and how, you know, all you know things like that that you don't ever hear from these people until it gets close to turkey season. I was like, I wish you had the motivations to save as many turkeys, you know, during the summer months when you got poults running around, and I wish you had the motivation to save as many as you do, the amount of motivation you have to kill as many as you do. You know, I just I just wish we could have a little, uh, hold yourself accountable, look in the mirror and figure out that this resource that we've learned, I've learned is, is pretty fragile. You know, we've got to take care of these things if we want to hunt them. So, um, 
It's pretty important for us to realize that. It is. And, you know, I, I, I see that stuff that you're talking about online and I take it personally, man. And I know I shouldn't, and there aren't many things that, that really just, that I, that I want to like fight someone over, but some of the stuff that you see guys doing with, with, with the wild Turkey, like, I'm just like, what, what are you doing, man? Like, it's just, it's unnecessary. It's, it's irresponsible. And it just really, it really frustrates me. And it's, it, you know, for years, it turned me off of the content creation on YouTube and Instagram and all that because of, because of kind of that mentality. And, and, yeah. and there's, there's a wholesome, I don't want to say wholesome, but that's what it is. And it's just a respectful approach to it because it is a noble pursuit, you know, and it's, it's a noble bird. It's something to, you know, to be cherished because they may not be here 10 years yeah. from, you know, think about like in Ohio, like the, the, the quail, I mean, we, we, <laughs> It's yeah, gone. you don't want to see the, turkeys go the way of the quail. You know? Yeah, the pheasants and they're gone. They're just they're just gone, and it's a it's a it's a really good success story now, and I want to keep it that way for for decades. So, guys like you, man, you're doing it the right way. I I, I appreciate yeah, we, that, and we have to police ourselves. You know, yeah, policing within your communities is always best, right? I mean, you know, so we'd really have to to police ourselves and let the you know that you're not going to change the anti hunters' opinions, but the non hunters yeah. we you know, we have to let them know when, when you see ridiculousness posted like that, the hunters need to be the loudest voice saying, Hey, that's not us. You know, yeah. that's not us. Don't, don't label that person or what they're doing as, as hunting because it's not, um, we got to do a, a, do a good job of, of self-policing and making sure that, you know, what's shared. And, and here again, I'm not one of those guys that wants to take blood out of hunting. There's killing us of it. Like you got to kill them as part of it. Um, so I'm not one of those guys that want to, use the word harvest uh, all the time. You know, I'm, I'm not one of those guys, but that being said, we have to police ourselves and make sure that we're not given. Um, I mean, look at all the attacks with the turn of the year, the attacks we've seen on hunting, yeah. trapping, I mean, from coast to coast. Um, it's no secret that those guys are after us and any yeah. that we have amongst ourselves is going to be used against us. So yeah, the time and is now to really keep an eye on it. Yeah. And I think that's a, that's a good statement. You just said there, I mean, a lot of this is self-inflicted because of the way that, you know, as hunters, we have a story to tell and the, and we have a story to tell about the lands that we use, the animals that we go after and, and just the, you know, the, the, the pursuits that we have. And it's a lot of us are telling the story the wrong way. And that's, and, my, and that's just my opinion mm. and I'm nobody, but you know, I, I think you tell your story and the story of, of millions of Turkey hunters across the country. I think you tell it the right way. So. Well, I appreciate that. I try you know, <laughs> I try, I try to let, um, I don't know. I try to share stuff that I feel like is tasteful. Um, yeah. and just, you know, remember that, that the person watching that video may not be a turkey hunter, you know, yeah. so try to make it uh, appealing to. to How's your trapping game? Yeah. I'm sorry. How's your trapping game? Is getting better? Oh man. We're constantly trying to improve, you know, yeah. constantly trying to improve, trying to kind of run the numbers, trying to build the inventory on the traps and trying to put out the troops when we can. Yeah. Uh, CWD hit in our counties here the last, um, couple weeks ago now. So oh, it's no. a big deal here around the house. And that kind of, they shut down all small game, anything besides deer hunting on the areas around the house when that happened. So really, yeah. So that kind of curbed what I'm able to do here at home. Um, they haven't they haven't found anything more after those first that first case have they my knowledge no i mean they've got a pile of samples i know that they're processing uh but from from my understanding they just had the one positive and hopefully that's all we 
that's all we have. That's all we see. So yeah. very good. Okay. I still have, I have a couple questions. Now I know you guys have been like, really, uh, you, you got this, this brotherhood going, but from the outside guy here, that's never gotten a Turkey. And as just thinking out in his mind, um, all right, Dave. So you go to the woods and you think you've got this perfect spot picked out and it's silent and you don't hear anything. How are you, what are you doing there? And I, you know, in the tur in the deer woods, I'm just going to sit in that stand and wait and wait and wait, or, you know, start planning for the afternoon. But what do you do in, in, in the Turkey situation? If, if you got nothing. Um, I like typically if I'm hunting a place that means it's <clears throat> has other options because I like hunting big tracks of ground so that I can make those plant A's, B's and C's, you know, um, sometimes that means getting back into a truck and relocated to a completely different piece of dirt. Um, not hopefully I'm, I'm on a ridge system or something to where, like I said, I can move and put my ears on ground that I couldn't hear from point A, uh, from point B, I can hear ground that I couldn't hear from, from point A and from point C, I can hear ground. I couldn't hear from point A or B. So, um, it's kind of a, um, keep spinning my wheels process and, and, and prospecting, I guess you could say, um, <coughs> but the situation is a little bit different and i'm on a piece of like private ground i know there i don't have the flexibility of of moving um that that may be a situation where i try to you know kind of push the envelope a little closer try to you know if i really believe there are turkeys there i may get myself close enough to um hear wing beats, hear them fly down, that kind of thing. You know, it's all depending on how confident I am there's turkeys there and how confident I am that I know the exact turkey's location versus just a general area. Because if you go to pushing in too far on the whole general area idea, you're going to end up bumping turkeys and flushing turkeys and, and, and impacting turkeys for the long run that you could have killed if you were just waited for a little bit better day. Because um, turkeys don't gobble every day, you know. Why, why is that? Is that, I mean – Everyone, every turkey hunter wants to know that answer. No one, yeah. no one knows. I mean, no one knows. Yeah. What's no. your What's your opinion? I mean, is it weather? Is it they're just tired? <laughs> yeah, I thought. Who knows? I I really don't have any. Ah, shoot, man, your guess is as good as mine. What do you do on a day like that? Do you just pack it up like and go a, home, or do you? I just walk I around like and look a, for mushrooms. Is what I do most of the time. <laughs> I mean, I like a bluebird day with a five six mile an hour wind and, and yeah. forty three degrees, but. Um, that doesn't mean I'm not going to be there when it's overcast and drizzling rain because I'm there every day. Um, why do they choose some days to gobble and some days don't? Oh, shoot, man, your guess is as good as mine. Um, when was it? What, uh, uh, 2019, I think it was. We had such a wet spring. It got to where I was hearing more turkeys gobbling on the dirty days than I was on the clean days. I'd get a beautiful day and I wouldn't hear turkey. And I'm like, it's been so wet this year. The turkeys are starting to prefer the gloomy, dreary, yeah. rainy days. <laughs> um, it nice. just seemed like that. So, yeah, I don't have any kind of theories. Um, I know when it's supposed to be about 10 o'clock in the morning, it, everything seems to be dead. You can really read the crows and the songbirds around you. If you get out there and the day's breaking, you don't even hear crows, and that kind of it just seems dead. You know, I can almost tell you from the lack of songbird activity and crows whether this is going to be a good goblin day or not before before it even starts so um is that barometric pressure is that cloud cover is that dew point temperature i don't have a clue what causes them to do that <laughs> i've said this a hundred times they're living animals they can make choices they're going to do whatever they want to do that particular day 
You don't ever know if they were flushed off the limb by hawks, I mean, by owls the night before. You don't know. You just don't know what they had to encounter. Um, So, yeah, I mean, yeah, your guess is as good as mine. Dave, you've talked a little bit about the uh, kind of, I don't know if we're in a decline of numbers and sounds nationwide. We Paul and I just talked to the Ohio uh, Upland game biologist. He gave us our, his opinions and, and, and thoughts on, on what's going on in Ohio, but what, just from your perspective is causing a decrease in numbers across the country. <clears throat> um, shoot. I think Chamberlain said it's a death of, of many small cuts, you know, um, we're very lucky. Like I said, the popularity of turkey hunting has the voices out there, has the concerned folks and numbers that I don't think turkeys have had on their side in a while. Um, so you've got people like Mike Chamberlain, like Will Goolsby, like Brett Collier. You've got these brilliant minds that are now getting the recognition that they need to get funding, to get people to be interested in answering the questions that they have that could potentially find the real answers. But I think we're going to find it's going to change geographically. Some areas are going to have issues that other areas aren't. Um, just make just to me the common sense thing is some type of some type of disease um um has to, to me to me um something that i think just think about it what could nationwide from south georgia to pennsylvania They've all got different habitats, different things are happening with their habitat, whether it be urbanization, whether that be a lot of row crop and different chemicals are applied, fertilizer, whatever it may be, um, nest predators, whatever it may be. Um, they've all got different challenges, but how is it so widespread that something is affecting, it's like COVID, man. I mean, COVID is affecting the whole, whole world. Um, the only thing to me that would have an impact like that, there's got to be a disease agent somewhere in there somewhere, you know, um, could be completely wrong because I am not a biologist. I don't have the letters behind my name. I'm just a normal guy trying to use my little bitty pea brain to come up with some, with some answers. Yeah, but <clears throat> when you, when you hunt 80 or 90 days a year, <clears throat> you're seeing it. Right. And uh, I, in my short time of Turkey hunting, um, you know, and listening to Paul, listen to Mark Wiley, our biologist. Um, and I spent time over in Pennsylvania, two different habitats, man, Ohio, most of Ohio. And then or some of Ohio, I'm sorry. I apologize to anybody in the more Eastern side of the state, but you know, that's different. A lot of Ohio is different than what's in Pennsylvania where it's just complete mountains and stuff and the guys that have been hunting in pennsylvania for 30 or 40 years that tell you that you know oh yeah we used to come over this hill and there'd be a hundred birds here and now there's nothing and you're spending days and days and days searching for birds and not getting anything there's to me definitely something that's happening and i think it's a little bit more than just the ecosystem balance of predators and 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 prey and vice versa through, you know how that works so yeah for sure i mean but and that being said i think it's isolated because there's areas that have just as many turkeys as they've ever had right now. So it's not like people like to use the word massive decline and catastrophic population 
decreases and all that. And I, we're not dealing with an endangered species here. You know, I don't think we have to worry about not having turkeys next year. It's just that we just got to start paying attention because I don't know if we've been paying close enough attention over the last, you know, 10 or 20 years. At least I haven't, you know, speaking for myself, um, it's all part of that recognition on how fragile this resource is. And um, I'm thankful that, like I said, the popularity of turkey hunting, people concerned about the well-being of the resource. I think all of that's at an all-time high now. And I think in the long run, we're not going to drop the ball again. Um, we're we're going to recognize if we don't pay attention to turkeys, it could be bad. Um, so, um, yeah, that's yeah. that's kind of where that kind of rests. And when we talked to Mark, he he his thing was mostly it was reproductive and just having a few bad springs in a row and how those can compound on each other. Um, but I think you're right, and everybody's kind of paying attention there. So, yeah, it's uh, the it's the pole per hen that's been falling. That we don't have the answer for. I'm not sure it's a harvest issue um, because I mean, study after study says you can take you know a ton of the male, uh, the male uh, birds out of the population and still be you know effective. It's it's I think maybe the timing on when we're taking the birds is, is really one of the big questions that we that a lot of people are jumping on board with, and, and seasons are getting pushed back because everybody's got to hang their hat on something, and and I think everybody wants to be they don't want to wait too late. They almost feel like they've almost waited too late to see the situation. Um, part of that. Um, part of that whole, you know, not paying attention that we were talking about earlier, but, uh, but yeah, I mean, I don't know if killing less or killing no male turkeys is going to help a hen go from 0.7.8 to 2.4, 3.5. You know, I don't, I don't know how that could, I mean, there's a disruption agent in there disrupting the nesting cycle and having to, you know, there's a lot of theories out there and there's a lot of stuff that's, got some got some motivation behind it and some credibility with it but i don't think anybody can put their finger on a on a black and white issue and like you you mentioned um i mean a lot of the stuff's just we can't control the weather mother nature's thrown some wet and cool springs and and that could be you know it's just that normal ebbs and flows of the turkey population that could be exactly what we're we're dealing with but i think it is a good thing that we're paying attention just in case it's not you know what i mean so or it's too late <laughs> Dave, what's the, uh, you don't have to tell us where, but what, what's the first day of the year that you're hunting this year? Uh, <laughs> oh God, let me get this COVID out of my throat. Um, yeah, it's going to be, um, somewhere right at the beginning of March. Um, Hawaii opens March 1st, Florida opens March 5th. So it'll be one of those two days. You mentioned the early season in Ohio. Our first, our opening day is April 23rd. So I think I think we're a little bit further back than some of those other states. Obviously, if if some are starting the first week of March, and obviously you're different climates or whatever, but um, I think that that is an interesting uh, concept of the whole thing. So I think we're getting close, Paul, on, on wrapping up here. I think so, man. So Dave, I appreciate you for somebody who maybe isn't familiar with you. You have a beautiful website, all right. And I've been sitting on here just poking around all night, but. Where do you start? Where where does somebody like myself start? I want to figure out what what Dave Owens is all about. Do I just go back to your first YouTube video and start binge watching, or where? Yeah. We um, yeah. I mean, you can find us same place you can find everybody else. I mean, we're on Instagram, Facebook. We try to. Um, it's pretty easy to figure out what we're about by just cruising across what we've done in the past. Um, yeah, YouTube is where our content hits. Mossy up go is where another streaming platform where you can also find that same content. Um, if you like turkey hunting, then you're probably going to like it. I hope you like it. 
Um, yeah, then our website, there's a ton of different stuff on the website. You know, all these podcasts that I've, I've been on, um, links to those are, are found there on the website. We have everything from, you know, merchandise folks can get to, we got recipes for folks to, to, to how do they want to prepare their turkey? I mean, we're trying to be a one-stop shop here and um, help turkey, help help people, you know, answer some questions they may have about turkey hunting or help them utilize the animals that they're killing, how to be more efficient, how to help conservation, how to become involved in conservation, how we can all, you know, um, like I said, take part and put more on the landscape than we're taking off the landscape. Um, but yeah, you got the website, you've got the YouTube, you've got Instagram, you got Facebook. So anywhere you want to find us, we're there. <laughs> and it's it's Pinhoti, it's P-I-N-H-O-T-I project, right? That's it. Cool. Well, Dave, I thank you for your time and and uh I hope to see you in Nashville and good luck out in the Turkey Woods this spring, my friend. Absolutely, man. It was a pleasure talking to you guys. I appreciate the opportunity and best of luck. Yeah, thank you. Take care, Dave. See you, man.